Awesome. Susie Rhodes. I'm so glad that you're here. I was telling you off camera. Um, so I watched your, I watched your episode with Kyle Wolf on the We Built an Empire podcast. And, I, you know, the idea with the chasing greatness side of things is basically conversations with inspire me, the conversations with people that inspire me. And uh, if anybody has a story that is inspirational and filled with you know, a tremendous amount of ups and downs and curveballs and everything. Yours is definitely near the top of the list, if not at the top <laughs> of the list. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just so excited at the opportunity to be able to pick your brain and learn from you and hear a little bit about, you know, your, your story and your mindset behind it all and things like that. One of the things that I think is interesting, and I, and I, I am going to ask you to tell the story because there's probably a lot of people listening that are, you know, wondering what I'm talking about. Um, but before we, right before we started recording, I thought it was interesting because you were kind of talking to me about, you know, after your accident, there was sort of a, I'll call it a media frenzy. Like a lot of people wanted to, you know, chat with you and, and you were dealing with so much at the time and it almost feels like now there's been time for the dust to settle and, and almost it's like, you've got your thoughts in order now, you know, maybe because there's been enough time to like process it all. Um, so I want to, I want to definitely touch on that, but before we do, do you mind humoring me and, uh, you know, kind of telling me, telling me the, the stories from the story from the day that, that your accident happened? Yeah. So in 2020, me and my ex were actually, um, off-roading, um, Black Bear Pass, um, freak accident kind of happened. The Jeep ended up rolling down the side of the mountain, um, and people who have seen it, they kind of, they know, or like, if you've seen the YouTube video, you kind of know, uh, why it was so crazy. There was a Jeep in front of us whose GoPro caught the whole thing on camera. And so in a matter of seconds, you just see a Jeep falling down the side of the mountain. Um, and it's pretty scary footage. Like even the... And I think I've seen the one that you're referencing, but there was one coming down that had a GoPro mounted and, and the red Jeep went you know, like right across it, like almost hit it right in front of it. Yeah. Was there, was there another angle or that's the, that's the only one. Um, and the guy who was like, whose GoPro that was, he was super nice. Um, he was actually the first one on scene. So right that road that he's on, um, that the red Jeep like kind of bounces off of, that's where I was found. Wow. So I'm in all the debris coming down and he did me a solid. Um, he cut me out of the frame, which I was really appreciative. Um, oh, wow. So you're yeah. actually the, so, and actually, sorry to, to take a step back. Um, you guys were four wheeling on, on black bear pass. What ha what triggered the accident? Cause wasn't the Jeep parked? I can't talk about that. Got it. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. But series of events occurred and, and the Jeep ultimately ended up rolling down. Yeah. Rolling down the mountain. And then that's where this video that we're referencing kind of comes, comes into in. play. Yeah. Yeah. And you had rolled quite a ways before you were ejected. Um, so 300 vertical feet. Um, and I like to tell people... My brother asked me um, when I was in the hospital, he was like, how many times do you think you rolled inside? And I counted 20. 
Wow. So it was like 300 feet, but what I remember was like 20 times just kind of inside the cab of the Jeep. Um, so I remember everything start to finish, which always kind of catches people off guard too when they hear. But yeah, that's kind of where the story started. And so when the video went up on YouTube, that's when like the media started coming into play. Um, you know, people heard about the accident and wanted to know, and then the YouTube came up and then everyone kind of put my name out there. So that's how everyone kind of figured out who I was. Yeah. Now you're a celebrity for all the, well, <laughs> maybe right or wrong people by now, but, um, so I'm curious and I think that's fascinating, especially the remembering, you know, the entirety of the event. At what point did you realize, you know, that, that, that the Jeep was rolling and what was the thought process? Like what, walk me through the emotions from, cause I would imagine there was a little while there when there wasn't, you know, you weren't hurt yet there, but it was happening and you couldn't do anything about it. What was that like? Um, the only thought that really crossed my mind through start to finish was how the hell am I getting out of this Jeep from like the initial, like kind of slide to where it rolled. Um, I tried jumping out the side of the car, couldn't get out fast enough. Um, and that's kind of when the rolling started and then rolling, I was like, how do I get out? How do I get out? I was like, eventually it's going to stop. And I got ejected a few seconds after that. Wow. So. And then um, walk me through then, you know, obviously it's got to have been chaotic and, and all sorts of things going on. But you at some point realize that you're pretty significantly hurt. What was the, you know, kind of the next? So right, right after I got ejected and people were on scene, EMS was called. Um, I had a weird tingling sensation in my leg, so I actually thought my knees were at my chest. Um, and it was kind of just a weird feeling. I was like, I'm not, I'm not walking. I'm not walking right now, at least. Um, and I kind of figured I was paralyzed. Um, just kind of an odd feeling. And so... But, it, but you had a sense of that? Like, you had a sense that... that yeah. That you were paralyzed the moment, like immediately yeah. after it had happened. Yeah, there was, there was, uh, it's weird. There was just a, like a sensation in my legs that I'd never felt something was definitely off. I was like, I'm, uh, chances are I'm paralyzed. So I kind of figured I was, and then sure enough, like, yeah, spinal cord got hurt. But luckily that's it. I mean... I'll take just the spinal cord injury over what could have happened any day of the week. And that's why I'm so excited to, you know, be able to pick your brain and, and, you know, hopefully share your mindset with people. Um, because even that statement right there that you just mentioned, like, thank goodness that was all that it was. And there's these, you know, there, I, I feel like clearly a very pivotal, pivotal moment in your life that's going to change the trajectory one way or another. And I, and I'm excited to learn more about, you know, the ways in which it has changed it. But I also think it's so cool to hear how you, even that little statement you said right there has a, a bit of a positive 
spin to it. And I picked up on that so much when, when I was listening, you know, to you and uh, on the guest with, with Kyle's podcast. And I just think that that, that resilient kind of mindset is so powerful, especially in the, the face of such extreme adversity, you know, cause it would have shown, it's just as easy to say, this is the worst thing ever and everything's awful. And, you know, to, to, to go down that, that other path, I'm curious and, and, and a little bit of context with it. I've had a fair amount of conversations on this podcast before and, you know, with people who have overcome adversity and kind of this idea of nature versus nurture, right? Like, do we, are we born with this positive outlook on life or do we develop it over time? And I'm curious from your perspective, do you feel like you, had other adversities in life that sort of prepared you to, you know, be able to have that outlook that you have? Or do you think that it's just, you just had that outlook and, and carried it on? Um, I think, I think as you go through life, you, you make the decision. So you go through life. It's not always fair. It can be really shitty or you can go through life and have every positive thing happen. Um, whatever the case is, you have to make the mental note of like, all right, do I stay stuck in this moment in what could be, what could have been, or do you kind of just like move on in life? Um, and so for me, when bad things happen, um, you just kind of like move through life and sometimes it takes a lot harder. So like, yes, I am. I try and be really positive. It's not always like that. I'm sure. So a good like year and a half after I got home, I hit a really bad depression state, hated my life, didn't want to live anymore. And, you know, you just, you have to fight like one day at a time and find something to hold on to. And then you'll get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm good. We're going to move forward. We're not going to let what happened determine what we do next. And... I very much think you you have to train yourself to be resilient mm. and you have to train yourself to try and find the good in something. Yeah, it's almost like you have to be intentional about what you focus on or how, you know, how the I, I don't know, that the, if you choose to focus on certain things that'll be what's magnified versus if you choose to focus on on those others. I'm curious. So, you know, you kind of mentioned a year and a half afterwards as being a little bit of a, of a turning point. Can you talk me through that first though, year and a half? I, I, I would love to, to hear a little bit more of the, you know, the accident occurred. You, you realize essentially immediately that you're paralyzed. I'd love to hear from you. When did it sink in though, that this is going to impact your life forever and what was the evolution until that turning point? You know, what, what, what were the next steps even physically and mentally afterwards? So I went to Craig Hospital for my rehabilitation for three months. Um, and it's a great spinal cord and neuro rehabilitation center. And it was there um, a lot of ups and downs. Just this is my reality. But while I was there, I was also... I also realized how lucky I was um, that things weren't worse. Um, and so that was kind of a roller coaster. Like some days I was super positive. 
Some days I was super negative. Um, and about halfway through, it kind of sunk in that, okay, I'm living in a wheelchair. And then when I got home, reality of what living in a real wheelchair was really hit. Because when you're in a rehabilitation center, it's catered to you. Everything was accessible. I didn't know what lack of accessibility even meant. Um, and so when I came home, that changed. And then I had to learn essentially like the hard way of, all right, I have to adjust my life and everything that I do to live in an able body world, essentially. So what are some of the, cause I think it's so interesting to think about that, you know, like you never realize, you, you know, it's like, have you ever heard the red car analogy? It's like, how many red cars did you, you know, see on your way here? Of course, you yeah. know, no idea. Well, if, if, if you were driving a red car, if I paid you to, you know, count the red cars, you'd be able to, to count them. But I think so many of us have no idea. I mean, in fact, it's even like when we were scheduling this conversation and you were like, is it wheelchair accessible? And I'm like, oh, I never even thought of that. And I think that it's, that's, it's an interesting way to think about things because it applies on a bigger picture, you know, obviously accessibility, but you know, accommodations for all sorts of people and things and, you know, realities. So I'm curious, and I just think it's, it's important for everybody to be a little more aware of things like that. You know, like you don't realize how easy it is to, for me to walk up and down the stairs, much like I'm sure there's other things in my life that I'm just clueless to that are, you know, are, are huge in, in huge impact on, on others. I'm curious, what were some of the, the, the eye-opening, like, oh, my gosh, this is not designed for somebody in a wheelchair? What, what were, like, the, the simplest, silliest things that were, you know, that, that you came across right when you got back? Not everywhere has an accessible bathroom. So you have to be pretty diligent about when you go to the bathroom, how much liquids you drink because there's places that – have a bathroom, but I couldn't get into. Um, there's a handful of restaurants down on Main Street that I won't even go into or eat at because they don't have an accessible bathroom. And so that's one of the biggest ones. Um, doorways. Um, I think a standard like wheelchair accessible doorway is like three feet. Um, so I've definitely been in places where I just can't get in because of the door stairs that's always a good one yeah. <laughs> stairs are fun and then parking just either the lack of accessible parking spots or that one is listed but there's not the, like the dashed lines next to it so there's not the room to get my wheelchair out of my car is that why you backed in yeah. here purposefully for a room yeah interesting see and i think that's so that's those are those little things that I think so many of us would overlook. You know, like now you have to back into the spot so that there's room on the other side. What about driving? Even just the act of driving, was that a learning curve again? Not really. Um, so I learned at Craig how to drive with hand controls. The first time was really weird because training your hand to like push and stop and that was kind of weird. But then I got the hang of it, and now it's just 
pretty second nature. Um, everyone gets in my car and wants to try out the hand controls. <laughs> and I'm like, I will teach you how to, um, but not when it's crazy. Probably yeah. in a dead parking lot, so we don't hit anything. Some are safe <laughs> and controlled a little bit. Did yeah. it? I would imagine too, and and because I I want to, I definitely want to get back to you know your mindset with it all. But I also think there's so many little things that that occurred, you know, that you have to deal with that people overlook. Um, like I would imagine too, that there's been new expenses, like outfitting the car to drive and, and these other things like that. Has, has that been, is that, a- Oh yeah. Living in a wheelchair is not cheap. Um, my wheelchair was priced pretty expensively. Um, I know like a new set of wheels that I want, are between like nine hundred to fifteen hundred dollars just for new wheels that are a little bit lighter. Literally wheels, or is the word wheels like a no, slang like, for a wheelchair? No, like just the wheels, just like the big. Literally wheels. the wheels. Just the wheels. Fifteen hundred dollars. They're yeah, and they're lighter. They're significantly lighter than the wheels I have. Um, if I had the money, I, yeah, I would totally buy some. My hand controls were pretty pricey. Um, you can get some hand controls off Amazon. I got electric hand controls just so anyone can kind of use my car. So if I'm with my family and I don't want to drive, then they can drive and they don't have to worry about the hand controls too much. Um, so I definitely got a higher end of that and that can be modified too, but you have to go get trained in hand controls. And I have some friends that literally don't drive because nowhere trains how to use hand controls there's not vehicles that dmvs have for people who need to use them Mm -hmm. so you're kind of just suck until you get the hours you need with hand controls to get your license to use hand controls yeah see all these little things that i think you know out of sight out of mind for so many of so much of the population which i just think is I think it's important that we learn that and pay attention to that because it matters. I mean, even the fact that it's hard for, for somebody to get a driver's license is I never, that thought never crossed my mind. And I, it never crossed my mind until I met some people in California who ran into that problem. And I was like, wow, if I hadn't gone to Craig where they offer it, then I would be in the same position. I'd have to have someone always drive me around and that, would take away my independence a lot. Yeah. I mean, I drove here, I work, I where I need to go, I can go because I have that capability, but some people don't. Yeah. You know, I mean it's 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 wild to to consider. And I'm so I'm curious because you you'd kind of talked about that eighteen month after the accident, you know, sort of being the the low point. Was the the progression from that, I mean, is a lot of it just What's the primary emotion, you know, for those, are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling depressed? Were you feeling, I mean, a combination of them all? Is it, was it a, more of an adapting moment even? What was kind of the... It was a lot of anger. Anger. Yeah. So it was like a form of depression, but I was really, really mad. Um, I just hated my new reality. I hated living in a wheelchair. I hated how hard everything was. And at the time, it was really hard. I mean, 
it probably took me five minutes to get in and out of my car. Probably, no, it probably took me like 15 minutes to get in and out of my car to where now it takes me a couple minutes. Um, I was just mad. I was mad that I was the one that got hurt. I was mad that my accident made national television. I was mad that everyone thought they had their own opinion about what happened that day. Um, I was just mad. Yeah. So even the, which of course you were, I mean, I, I can't, I mean, what a, a normal emotion, you know, to feel. And then I can, I can imagine that, you know, these little inconveniences that we touched on too would obviously contribute to the anger because you've got this larger, this larger reality that you're dealing with. And then these every moment reminders, you know, of it as well, like literally no escaping, you know, where, where we're at. Um, you know, and it's interesting too. So I had, I had Aaron Shank on the podcast a while back and, um, he, he had a, a good friend pass away and his primary, he was sharing with me that his primary emotion early on was anger as well. And then loneliness. But, um, you know, I think that when these huge traumas happen in our lives, you have no way of anticipating what the emotion is going to be. Of course, you know, there's no way to train or plan for that. And you don't even, you know, know that the trauma's on its way. What I'd love to hear about is, and it, and it may relate to kind of what we were talking about earlier on, you know, choosing what we focus on or whatever it might be. But then there's a turning point that happened because you don't seem angry to me now. No, I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not angry. <laughs> what, how did you pull yourself from these lows? I mean, even suicidal lows, it sounds like. And, you know, this, this tremendous amount of negative emotions and, and anger and things like that to the person that's sitting in front of me now. So, um, I'm pretty rooted in my faith. So I did a lot of talking to God, but also screaming at God. Um, so, and that was just centered kind of like, all right, you saved me. You had saved me for a purpose. Something, something's going to come out of all this. Something has to come out of all this. Like, I'm not going through this pain. I'm not living this just to live like this. Um, so I wanted more for my life. And then I got back into coaching volleyball. So I was a big volleyball player for most of my life. And then I started coaching when I was 19. Um, and so I got back into coaching. And that was a big turnaround because coaching was my safe haven. I love being in the gym and it kind of gave me a part of part of normal life back. Um, and then I started working at the rec center. And so really just getting into the routine of things, keeping my mind busy and then talking to God, that kind of shifted that anger. And eventually all that just, I wasn't mad. Like, I still get sad sometimes. I'm like, man, it kind of sucks. But it kind of just shifted and gave me something else to think about and work for. And it's like, okay, I'm living a normal life. I, I'm i having fun. I, I have great friends. And so just taking the little things in life and everything that I still had. I still had really good friends. I have a fantastic family. I got coach volleyball. Um I was in my master's. I'm still in my master's, but like 
I'm in school to help people so they don't, so when they feel like me, then they have someone to talk to. Um, and eventually, it's kind of a day by day. When you are in that low place, you really have to take it day by day and sometimes hour by hour and just kind of give yourself some credit for how far you've gone. I mean, I, even looking back, I mean, my first week in a manual wheelchair was hard. I was so tired. I could barely spend like three hours in a chair to where I spend 12 to 15 hours a day in a chair. So giving yourself credit for how far you've come definitely changed. And that's why I think when it comes to resiliency and the positive outlook, you train yourself to do that. Yeah. It's not, you don't, you're not born that way. You have to learn what you want in life and you have to, you have to force it on yourself that you're not going to be what happened to you. That's the way I look at it. Ellen, I love that you mentioned kind of like sticking it out for one more day yeah, or even one more hour. Um, which to me, what I, what I hear from that is hope, you know, <laughs> like trusting that this will get better or at least this will pass. Um, and I think that's such a powerful perspective because so many times, and especially when we're in pain, physical pain or emotional pain or whatever it might be, it's so the, the world gets dim on us, you know, like it's so all consuming that that pain is, um, that sometimes it's hard to see the horizon, what next year might look like or what three years from now might look like. Um, but I love that that frame of mind that, that you have, or even the way you've worded it of one more hour, even like not, you know, like I'm going to keep, keep on pushing through for now. Did, did that come from internal? Was that, you know, that was kind of internal, but also that's kind of how my family lives. Um, so my family and me, like we've gone through a lot of trauma, just just in our family. And so we really, we really learned that sometimes, yeah, it is an hour by hour. And for a lot of 2021, it was an hour by hour. But, and then for my dad, one thing that he always tells me when I'm having a, a hard day is that it's fine, Susie, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. So that's kind of how I think I'm like, well, it's a hard day, but it, the sun's going to come up tomorrow and we have a new day. And we can do what we want with that day. So just don't quit. Just don't quit. <laughs> Which I think is so I'm I that's that that's gonna resonate with me for a long time, the hour by hour thing. Cause you know, it, it, especially the the topic of suicide and you know, people that are are in lows. I mean, that it's all around us. I've I've got so many people that I'm close with that, you know, have struggles like that and, and those thoughts and things like that. And I think that being able to reframe it and even to, I've never in my life, have I ever shortened a, a time horizon to an hour. And so I'm, I'm fascinated with that, but I'm, I, I, I just think that that's such a powerful, cause you can go one more hour. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it feels like a long ass hour, 
but it's an hour. Yeah. And then just refocus. And so I was talking to a volleyball player who was kind of struggling this year, and I was like, honestly, hard days happen, and even hard times happen. And it reminded me a lot of just coaching volleyball and even playing. Like, all right, you're going to take some hits. Like, you're going to get in some ruts. You're not going to win every game. But if you keep playing, then those losses turn into wins. Eventually, you're not game-pounded by balls anymore, right? You're doing that to other people and other things. And so that's the way I look at it. I mean, an hour can feel really long, but it's also an hour, and then you reset after an hour. Take a deep breath, go take a walk. You come back, and you work hard for an hour. You know? Yeah, and it's like it's almost like the goal is to keep playing. Yeah. You know, like we might not win today's game, but we're going to keep better. playing. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're practicing at life almost or yeah. you know. So, you mentioned your faith. Um and I and I'm I'm curious to pick your brain on about that a little bit more cuz it almost seems to me like when the when your mindset shifted 18 months after or so, um it's almost like you you had you you decided that there had to be a why you were saved. I think that's even exactly what you said. Like, why did he save me? There had to have been a reason for him to yeah. save me. Did you ever think though, why did I have this in the first place? Oh yeah. When I say I screamed at God, I mean, oh man, I screamed. I would scream in my car almost every day, <sighs> and it was just like for a long time. I I was like, it would have been easier. My life would have been easier if I would have just died on that mountain and called it a day. Because living in a wheelchair, it's hard. Um, I'm happy it didn't happen, clearly. But so there was a lot of that, God, why did you save me? Like, what about me was worth saving? And so I was in counseling, and my therapist was like, are you going to be okay if you don't know that? And so that was my reality check, and... I had to be okay with it. I don't know why I got saved that day, um, but I did. And so now it's my job to make the most of it. Almost like you could underline the, you know, the faith and trust that there is a why. We may not know the why, yeah. but there is one. <laughs> Do you think that then you get to almost choose the why? Or that you have to like, like, I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear more of how you process that or, or your thought process behind that. Cause I, I relate so much to feeling like there has to be a reason for it and believing that there is a reason for it, not necessarily knowing what the reason is yet. Is it a patience thing? Like I'm going to wait for the reason or I'm going to make the reason or I'm going to lean into intuitions, you know, like what, what's the because there's, there's this smile about you now and it almost, it, it feels to me like you're, like you have found some purpose and, and your own version of the why. And I, I'm, I'm kind of curious about if you feel like that has, has happened by choice or by not, maybe it's by <laughs> just going an hour at a time or what, what are your thoughts on, on that? I think for a long time, I was waiting for God to just kind of give me my purpose um, and then just having patience and trusting him and being like, all right, you're going to show me, you're going to show me, you're going to show me. 
And there was always something inside me that was like, I there's something bigger I'm supposed to do. I don't know what it is, but like there's something bigger. Before the accident, even like your whole life, you've had no. Okay. No, just after the accident. Um, and so I always felt I was like, man, something big is supposed to happen. Like I'm supposed to do something big with my life. And then I was on a phone call with my best friend, and she was like, Susie, maybe you need to start taking chances and make make something of it. So it's kind of both. Like, have patience in God and his timing and what's going to work, but also say yes to the chances that you don't honestly want to. Say yes to things that are going to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, Is that why you said yes to being on the podcast? <laughs> That's just the, no. <laughs> Part of it? Part of it. But um, a big, like, 2023... My New Year's resolution was just to live life. I didn't care what I was doing. I just wanted to be happy. I'm not going to focus on the past. I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy. Um, and I really did that. I went skiing for the first time with some friends, fell in love with that. I did some biking with some friends. I went out to California, met incredible people with wheelchairs and their own disabilities. Um, I rode on the train for the first time, being in a wheelchair. I did Kyle's podcast. I'm on this podcast. Just say yes to you went things. fishing? That was a long time ago. Oh, was it? I was just yeah. saying, I saw your post when you, t- you took a break from social media, at least on your post, and there was all these like travels and cool experiences and things like that. Do you think that, you know, and I, obviously today's the first time I'm meeting you in, in person, but I love that. I, it, it's interesting and I relate to it a lot because I'm, I'm kind of on a similar, I'm having a similar uh you know, goal year of like, I'm just going to do stuff. I'm going to, yeah. I want to live a rich life and experience things and learn new things and, you know, go all in on, on this roller coaster of life. Do you feel like you had that mentality before the accident and it got back after you kind of got to a healthy place? Or is this a new sort of mindset for you of saying yes to things? I, I was in a hospital room and I was like, I'm going to live my life. I told every nurse, every doctor, everyone, I was not going to let what happened to me slow me down. And it did. (laughs) It slowed me down for a good year and a half. And then that switch, that switch changed and I, I decided I was going to live. Um, and so just saying yes to experiences and doing things that make me happy. Um, but I did tell myself that when I first got hurt. And so I owe it to that girl who was laying in a hospital bed saying all this. I owe it to her to live my life to the fullest. I love that. So I'm curious because I wrestle with, you know, it's a chicken or egg dilemma, which came first, right? Um, Happy people do things (laughs) and doing things makes you happy. Do you think that, you know, and and speculative, obviously, but if if somebody's in a dark place that you can almost like force yourself out of it by saying yes to these things, or does the yes come after the happiness and the decision to to live a certain way? What was the order? (laughs) It's kind of, I would say that saying yes kind of developed me into being a more positive and happy person even when you didn't want to even when I didn't want to um like 
saying yes to the Tamara Hall show, um, that was really nerve-wracking. I'm happy I did it. Uh, getting hired as the JV volleyball coach, I'm happy I did it. I'm still doing it, saying yes to you and Kyle. You're never going to regret the chances that you take. You're only going to regret the chances you don't take. So say yes, because it might suck. Cool, you don't have to do it again. It might be the best thing in the world and incredibly life-changing, and then you kind of figure out what you want to do. Do you feel like you've got the – because, first of all, I love that. Like, the, you know, you, you talk about people's, you know, deathbed regrets or whatever. Nobody ever regrets not doing things. Yeah. Everybody – or, I'm sorry, nobody ever regrets doing things. They regret not doing things, you know, like taking the chance or taking the risk or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, though, do you feel like you kind of got a – I've got nothing to lose mentality, you know, like, cause, cause sometimes it, I, I just think that there's sometimes different catalyst moments for people that, that kind of force them out of their comfort zone and force them into living a life that we're all meant to live. That's, that's fulfilling and rich and full of experiences and things like that. I'm just kind of curious if yours came from a place of stubbornness or anger or, uh, you know, I got nothing to lose or screw it you know what was kind of the uh the what 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 helped you sort of start down this path of you know probably all of those um I am a really stubborn person the anger I was done dealing with it and honestly just well I already fell down a mountain it can't be worse than that like it can't be worse than what's already happened so might as well try it almost this like try me I yep. got this, which is, it's a cool, it's a, there's almost like a swagger to that, you know, to that mindset of, uh, you know, you know, like you said, it can't be worse than. It's than kind you. of just like, all right, you said I am stubborn. And so part of that is when people tell me I can't do something, man, I'm good at proving people wrong. Let me watch tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, cool, watch me. And then I prove everyone wrong. And I'm like, I don't know. Love it. I love it. What, what do you think has been like, what what are you most proud of now? Um, I think I'm, I'm proud of just who I'm becoming and that person that has really changed. Um, so yes, the injury sucked, but I'm really proud of battling through the depression, battling through the suicide thoughts. I'm really proud of, I had some people like leave my life, like my ex that broke up with me. Um, I'm really proud that that relationship kind of ended. I'm really proud of people who've just left my life since the accident because it all hurt, right? Those were all really hard times that I had to face but I'm proud that I did it and I didn't get consumed with the negative energy and the negative thoughts and feelings because I wouldn't be here today and be able to say, I am really like, I'm proud of where I've come. I'm proud of my mental state. I'm proud that I chose to fight through all of that and just live this really fulfilling life. A couple of interesting things there. Um, one is that I think it's really interesting that you said I'm proud of who I'm becoming. Uh, like knowing that there's 
there we're all, we're still on a journey, you know, like we're, we're not done evolving. We're not done changing. Uh, but you also, it's almost like there's this confidence about where we're headed, you know, yeah. that I'm, I'm proud of obviously who you are, but who you're becoming as well, which I think was an interesting way to, to word that. And then you also mentioned the, the, the hardness of it and the, the challenges and things like that. I'm curious when you look back now on the accident and the impact that it's made in your life, we talked about those first 18 months, primary emotion being anger. What's the primary emotion today as it relates specifically to the accident and the impact that it's made on your life? Um, that's a, that's a hard one. I would probably say grateful. Wow. I mean, I would have never, five years ago, graduating college, if you told me I was going to live in a wheelchair, I probably would have been like, no, you're dumb. But I also wouldn't go back and change anything that happened that day. I mean, I have a really great life now, and I... And I'm still going to go and do incredible things. And if anything, the doors for me just opened. Mm. I have more opportunities now than I ever did as an able-bodied person. I cannot believe that's the <laughs> coolest answer. I, not at all. I'm, you're going to have to give me a minute to think of my next question now because uh, – I expected somewhat of a positive reaction, but not that gratitude would be your, your primary emotion, you know, looking back on, on the event. And I think that that is so powerful, um, that it's kind of opened up these opportunities and, and in a lot of ways, it almost feels like you've got this perception that it was transformative. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, that's just the coolest answer I've ever <laughs> heard ever that you're grateful. Um, there's kind of this idea too of a lot of times, sometimes people, I, I had Doug Miller on the show and, and we were talking about getting out of our comfort zone and we were discussing the fact that sometimes situations aren't necessarily bad enough to force people out of their comfort zones. Like the job's not that bad. The relationship's not that bad. Like, you know, we end up kind of just like sticking it out because it's not that bad yeah and with hindsight you know looking back sometimes a m event that think makes things worse catapults us forward it's like a slingshot theory you know you got it pulls us back and then then launches us forward um which seems like that's what exactly what is has happened with you and in gratitude i'm i'm curious to ha how has it changed your perspective on others like uh because I think, and one of the things that I think is unique about your story is that everybody has some level of a challenge, right? Like we all, everybody has some level of thing that we're dealing with, thing that we're growing, going through. Most of the time it's hidden. Most of the time it's, it's something that, you know, we deal with in the background or that we, we sort of have another hour to push through or whatever <laughs> it might be. Yours is very visual. Like it, you know, the, the, your, your struggle is clear it's apparent you know we, we we and obviously there's you know the, the mental component <laughs> of it I don't mean to downplay that but I'm just kind of curious like has it changed how you view other people or the world or anything like that like has it kind of changed your your life perspective in any way yeah 
I would say that my big perception would be I follow a lot of really cool disabled athletes and just like disabled um, people on social media. And man, there's incredible people. I mean, people that do incredible things and can lift incredible weights. And I, there, people with disabilities are insane, insane humans. Um, and there's just, it's, it's so inspiring. I, it's kind of a hard word to use because they're just living their life. So they shouldn't, we shouldn't like view them as like, oh, you're so inspiring. But to me, they are. I mean, I followed them because I wanted my life to change. And for me, they were my role models, the people I looked up to. I wanted to be like them. And so that kind of changed. Um, people around here, I think, I think a lot of people just take the accessibility for granted. And I see it a lot just in this area and in other places, um, but I live here. So that's kind of hard. I mean, yeah. when I see, when I see like a family of four park in an accessible spot and just walk in, I want to key their car. <laughs> I like, I don't, but I want to. So I think people like me, I look up to, I use them as my role models. Um, or people just with disabilities in general, I, I look up to them. And then the able by people, I think, I think they need to learn. Yeah. I mean, people are, some people are super open-minded. Some people are really close-minded and that's just kind of what I realized since getting hurt. So the people that are open-minded and want to know more and want to have the conversation, those are great people. And I'm so happy that people want to know more about what is hard about my life or the challenges that I face. That's great because you're acknowledging that it's not easy. Um, to when, when you turn a blind eye and you just don't acknowledge it at all, you just kind of live in your little sheltered bubble, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, a, f a few thoughts on that. But because um, I, I try to help me remember to go back to choosing to follow the disabled, you know, disabled inspirational content. But um, I think it's interesting and it's interesting to thing to consider. And I would I would actually appreciate your advice even on it because. I'm a very inquisitive person. I've always been very curious. I've also been very loving. Like I've never been the type of guy that, you know, is prejudiced or yeah. looks at people different, <laughs> but I've always been curious about things. And I think that there's a fine line kind of between like acknowledging that you have a, 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 a unique challenge that you, you know, are forced to deal with every day versus though also just treating you normal. Yep. You know, like, what's the, give me the guidance on that. Like, cause I'm sure, you know, I'm sure people stare sometimes. I'm sure there's like, you know, kids that ask inappropriate questions or whatever, but I'm just kind of curious of, uh, 
you know, what, what's the, the balance look like, or, or even just from your perspective, what's like, how do you like it when people interact with you on a, you're just a, you're just a normal person too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, so I don't really like being told I'm inspirational for going grocery shopping or going shopping or working. Um, because I, that's just me living my life. So I think. What if it is inspirational though? I just, I don't know. You can say it. <laughs> I'm just saying. There, you know, well, I mean, it's even, I saw you in the parking lot and asked if you needed help. And I felt like such an idiot after. I'm like, of course she doesn't need help, you know, but it's like. Everyone asks. It's okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's just coming from a place of like, you know, do you need help? I, anyway, I just think it's because it's also interesting. You talked about the people that you follow and you were reluctant toward the, to use the word inspirational there as well. It's a big conversation. The topic um, of inspiration? About calling people with disabilities, like people with disabilities, inspirational. Hmm. Tell me more about that. Um, because we really are just living our normal life. And so there is just that fine line. Me going grocery shopping, that's not really inspirational. That's I'm literally just trying to get food home so I can eat, right? Um being one of the first wheelchair coaches in this area, you can say that's inspirational because there always has to be a first. Um, and it is just, it's kind of, it is hard to judge. And some people will tell you, no, it's not that inspirational. Um, but it is a big conversation that even I had to learn. You know, newly injured, I didn't realize that it was offensive. I mean, I went into Walmart and I was like, okay, whatever. I just want to, I just want to get my grocery shopping done. Um, and so I didn't really know it was a big problem to some people, but it is. And so the people I follow, that's why they're more my role models. I don't, they are incredible people. I mean, I follow an Olympic basketball player, an Olympic wall climbing guy, um, uh, personal trainers in wheelchairs that I got to meet, incredible people. And really, it's just we're living our life. It just looks a little different. And that's why, honestly, our society needs to – we need to change as a whole and accept that people live life differently. And just because we look different doing it doesn't mean we're inspirational, I guess yeah. is how I view that. Do you think that there's a chance, though, that it is inspirational in the sense that there's a knowing that there was some severe adversity that occurred and you're still grocery shopping? Like, <laughs> whether or not you're in a wheelchair is irrelevant, really. It's more inspirational that clearly something tragic happened and you're still showing up. Yeah. And I think that's where I think a lot of people feel a sense of same people with disabilities are inspirational. So I think it's just a balance. And I really is going to depend on who you come in contact with. Yeah. I'm okay if people say I'm inspirational. Um, you know, I get it. Because three, four years ago, I was saying it too. <laughs> so I get it. Um, some other people might take offense to it. I, 
you're just going to have to play it by whoever you talk to. Yeah. Do you want to be inspirational? Like, do you feel like that contributes to some of the why? Or do you feel like there's a different why? I want to show people that you can overcome what hand you've been dealt. So, yeah, a little inspirational. But really, I want people to be able to look at my life experiences and say, okay, I can do it too. Yeah. Um, and just that's how I view my life. So if, it is, if that's what inspiration is, cool. You can call me inspirational. Um, I really just want people to know that life is really, really hard at times. And I use the word hard because every day there's something good, right? So you can't really have a bad day because something good did happen, what, whatever it may be. Um, so you're going to come into some really hard, hard times, hard days, hard seasons, and you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose to fight that next day or that next hour. And I want people to be able to look at me and reach out to me and just say, hey, how'd you do it? Or have the conversation or say, oh, Susie did it. I can do it too. You know, be that person like, all right, challenge me. I'm going to do it. Which sounds pretty inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that uh, it, it's it's interesting to hear. And, and so there's a lot of inspirational people, I'm going to use the word, uh, (laughs) that, you know, also say, I'm just a normal person. Like I'm just, you know, I, I just happen to, you know, work harder or, or have other traumas or I've been in an accident or, or whatever it might be. And I think, and just humor me for a minute. I almost think that that is why it's inspirational. That you know, and you even said it too, that I did this, I've been through this, you can be, go through, you can do it too. Like you're strong also. Yep. And I think that that's kind of what makes these stories inspirational <laughs> is the underlying tone that it is just normal people. And like that we all have more strength and resiliency in us than we realize. And people like you and people, you know, that, that, I would put into that category of, of inspirational, <laughs> maybe motivational is a, who knows, but, yeah. um, I guess motivational is probably better that, that there, that, that is, it resonates because of the normalcy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if you were born with, you know, this incredible uh, th- things about you <laughs> that, you know, let you stand out in a different way, I think it would be a little bit less remarkable than the the fact that you're just a you know a, a normal person but just with an incredible amount of resiliency and stubbornness <laughs> and and optimism too um so anyway i just think it's it's a, a perspective worth considering of the fact that you know that i just you you know you mentioning that you're just normal or or whatever just going grocery shopping i think that's actually what is remarkable you know, that, that you're normal and continue to keep showing up and things like that. So I'm curious though, cause I'm picking up some tone, some underlying thoughts from our conversation of these moments that you've made 
intentional decisions. And we talked about, you know, the turning point and you even, even right then when you were talking about life being hard, you said, and I say that on purpose because there's good in every day. Like there, throughout our conversation, you've had these nuggets of optimistic perspective. Um, and you also talk about following, you know, the, the, the disability community and, and, you know, choosing which content you consume and things like that. Um, do you feel like you've sort of stumbled into that perspective or did you make, for example, like intentionally choosing who you're going to follow on social media? Did that happen by happenstance and then you chose to do more of it or were you like seeking something to pull you out? I, um, so I deliberately went and tried to find anyone and everyone in a wheelchair because I, because being paralyzed was hard enough, right? Learning how to relive my entire life, that was hard enough. But seeing pictures of people that I grew up with or knew or any able-bodied person was miserable for me. I hated it. And it just reminded me of everything that I couldn't do or everything that I thought I couldn't do. So, yeah, I suck out people who looked like me in wheelchairs. And as I, like, as I found people like that, then other people popped up and more people popped up. And so the person that I originally started following changed into a couple, a few more. And then that kind of just took off from there. And the friends I met at Craig, um, their circles that they run with then became people that I followed. So it, the disability world and community is actually pretty small. Um, and so finding people, it was kind of hard, but then once you find someone, then it just opens. Yeah. And so I definitely sought it out just as a way of like, this is my new normal. They did it. I can do it. That's yeah. where that came from. Well, and I think that's cool, and and it's important to note the intentionality behind seeking out, you know, who to who to follow. I I think I I've said it several times that we shouldn't use social media less. We should use it more intentionally. Yes. And you know, it, it, and even algorithmically, it started to <laughs> you know encourage like who you're gonna follow and and things like that. And I think that we have a we have a risky world that we're living in now with everything at our fingertips that we can go down a bad path. Like we can start to consume content that is awful or divisive or negative or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And the concerning part about that for me is, is that then you get more of it to your yeah. point. Whereas if we purposefully look for, you know, whether it's motivational content or it's funny, like right now I've kind of been on this kick of, uh, optimized life, I guess, for lack of a better term, I'll call it. Like I'm, I'm learning all about different foods to eat and, you know, different, yep. whatever. And similarly, I start to see a whole lot more content like that. And, you know, you can kind of learn it, but I think that's an important lesson that you purposefully chose. And it seems like you even, because you realized consciously that the content you were consuming, which was 
uh, able-bodied people living, doing their thing, but that it was making you feel negative. It, it was kind of having that, that negative impact. And I think it's powerful that you had the, a strong enough mindset to say, I'm not, this is impacting me in a negative way. I'm going to seek out other content that can impact me in a positive way, or at least that I can, you know, relate with yeah. on, on a more real, on a more real level. That's a powerful thing because that can apply way beyond, you know, looking for a disability community. I think that, you know, across the board, people should be very aware of the content we're consuming, the emotions it's evoking from us. Like I've, I've started going down a path of, you know, watching even more of like the news stories. And I'm like, oh, that's just. It's draining. Yeah. Just bumming me out. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm going to purposefully not now <laughs> because you know we have a, a life to live and yeah. uh uh you know an ex- experiences to enjoy and things like that I, I so i think that that's uh i think it's powerful that you did that i'm curious you mentioned kind of the community um and and feeling like you're a part of it how have and and you also talked about uh your ex-boyfriend how have relationships changed like do you do you feel like you have more meaningful relationships and and closer bonds with people, or that you're late with people in different ways? What what's been the evolution of your personal relationships? Um, so I definitely had people. I've had not just my ex leave, but like I've had friends leave my life. Um, and then my ex left, but I would say that I'm a lot more diligent about who I spend time with, and I don't have. I have a handful of friends, um, and I'm close with those friends. But I also know that those friends, if I were to end up in jail, I can call them. They're going to come bail me out, right? Like, I have a group of friends and a support system that's small, but that's all I need. Small but mighty. Yeah. And the people that – the way I look at it, the people that left my life, they serve their purpose. You know, they, they came into my life. They taught me something. They serve their purpose. Now they're not part of my life. I hope they're all doing well. I know I'm doing well. So I think you have to look at it like that when it comes to who you let in your circle. And think about what is what your feelings are associated with those people. And how much work are you putting into those relationships? How much of it is all on you? And... For one, like, my friendships, that was me. Like, I I was like, I can't do this. So I let him go, and it was that. Um, my ex, he chose to leave, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So I think, and there's always, there's a saying, like, God removes people in your life. Like, it's not, it's not like the devil trying to, like, cause you harm like he's doing it intentionally because you're outgrowing them Hmm. and I think that's kind of what happened with me and him um uh we just kind of outgrew each other and I hope he's doing well um like I said I know I am but being intentional with the people that you surround yourself with what is their mindset what are they supporting you are you constantly the only one that reaches out is it mutual um, what kind of feelings do you get when you're around them? Like, are you walking on eggshells around them? Are you happy around them? Can you just say whatever you want? 
that is what you should look for when you think about your circle or who you want in your life. Think about how they personally make you feel and are they making you a better person? If they're not making you a better person and they are holding you back or you're walking on eggshells, if something doesn't feel right, just go. Mm. Like our bodies are so in tune with other people and situations and feelings. Listen, if something's telling you it's not right, and I didn't, I like my body told me for a good year, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't what you want in a relationship. I didn't listen. It worked out in my favor, but be intentional with who you surround yourself with and think about, all right, are they a positive impact in my life? Are they encouraging me to take chance after chance after chance? My buddy, who is one of my good friends too, out in California, he came out here for Colorado. And I kid you not, I had to use a slide board to get into my car. And he was like, you're just being a child. You are too scared to do a popover transfer because you're scared. Just get over the fear. And so we challenge each other on that. Like we push each other to do better in our life and challenge each other. And that's what you want. Like good, positive relationships that push you to be better. Yeah. I needed to hear that today. <laughs> good. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because, you know, there, there's probably the most limited resource we have is our time and our energy. Yeah. And being intentional about where we give it and to whom we give it, I think, is super, super important. And I love that I, that perspective of trusting our guts. And, yeah. you know, if, if something doesn't feel right, it, it's it's not. And, and the fact that God can, you know. <laughs> he is, has his is, hand in it. <laughs> yeah, which is, is, I needed that today. So thank you. Um. I'm curious, everybody has hopes and dreams. Everybody has, you know, the plan for our life and, and where, we're, where we're headed. Have those hopes and dreams changed for you? You know, what your hopes and dreams pre-accident versus post-accident, um, and if so, in what way, or have they not changed? Or do you still have the, the same hopes and dreams that you've always had? Um... I think my hopes and dreams when I first got injured were I want to live as normal as possible. I want to be fully independent. I want to get back to coaching volleyball. Those were my hopes and dreams. That's what I wanted. And I got all of those. I live independently. I'm back coaching volleyball. So my dreams are just goals, I guess. Um, and so... My next, I, I wanted to go into counseling. I knew I wanted to go into counseling towards the end of my stay at Craig. And so I, I got into a master's program and I chose to do that. So I think my dreams just were, were goals and I'm a very goal-driven person. And so when I want something, I'm going to get it. Come hell or high water, I'm going to get what I want. And... I mean that in the sense that I don't care how long it takes. I will work for it. If it's really what I want, that's what I want. So, and that, I've always been like that. That was not like a post-accident. <laughs> I've always been that <laughs> stubborn of a person. Um, so they've changed, but they're not new dreams or kind of just new goals. So... Was the thought of being a counselor even on the radar before your accident? Or that's a no. new? That's new. 
No, I um, I was actually working at TBK Bank and loving life. Thought that's where I would stay forever. Um, and then I got hurt, and then everyone kind of does the same thing. You're really inspirational. You you can reach a lot of people, and I really just I wanted kids in particular. I wanted kids to know that life gets really, really hard. It's going to suck, but you can get through it. And I really don't want people or kids to be limited to what their past is, to what their circumstances are. I want them to know it's going to take work. Everything does, but you can get it. If you really, really want something, you can get it. And so... That's kind of why I became a counselor. And I'll be happy when I'm done with school. I'll be 100% honest. I'm ready to be done. But it is cool. Um, I am one of the only wheelchair users in my program right now. So when I had to go over for my labs for like a week, I got to tell all my instructors and other people what it's like being in a wheelchair what I have to look at, what I had to ask them, like, is your elevator working? Okay, well, it's not. Where are we going to go? How are we going to change and adapt? So I think dreams are just goals that you have to put in the work to get. Yeah, whether you're in a wheelchair or not. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) if you want something, you can get it. It's just, it's going to be a lot of work, and are you okay putting in the work? It seems like you found your why. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. There's some things, that, there's some secrets that I'm kind of like holding back. I'm patiently waiting. I'm going to see how things plan out. But I got some moves. I have moves that are upcoming goals that I'm hoping to achieve. And without, don't, I won't pry on that <laughs> as bad as I want to. But the result of those, you know, it, is it plans to make a bigger impact? Is it plans to have a bigger audience? What, what, you know, I, I, I won't pry on what the, you know, what the, what the plans are, but I would be curious to hear what the outcome of those will be just from a, you know, I, I mean, make a ton of money, impact a bunch of lives. <laughs> what, you know, what's kind of the, the, those are just, um, I, I always want to impact people, but So my big saying was, even if I just impact one person, that's enough for me. I don't, I don't need to go and like try and impact a thousand people. Like doing these are great and I love doing them. And I think it's awesome that people want to hear my story and think of me as inspirational. That's awesome. But that's never what I sought out to do. I, I was perfectly okay with the fact that if I inspire one person out of this whole accident, that's enough for me. That's enough to make it worth it. And so I think one of my big dreams, I just want to travel more. I want to see the world. And so that's kind of a big thing that I'm going to be chasing in the upcoming years. I just want to see more of the U.S., but I also also want to go internationally and go see some some other places. So that's a big thing um, that I'm hoping to do. And then, I don't know, if inspiration and more of these come up, like, awesome. I love doing them. I love talking to people because I, 
I don't know, I learn as much as everyone else. You know, you talk to enough people and you learn and you grow and you learn and you grow. That's life. And so, but it's not, nothing is, nothing for me was ever about, okay, I want to, I want to impact more people. Right. That just kind of happened. Which I think it's great. (laughs) Susie, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I have a gift for you that is going to be incredibly (laughs) ironic now. So these are, uh, I'll just explain it, but I'll tell you why too, because we've gone down the whole path of inspiration, right? These are inspired by example shirts, <laughs> which, <Yeah. laughs> you know, the plan of that would have been, but, um, I give these, oh, to every, sweet. I give these to every guest. Um, but I'll add to it that you don't inspire me because you go grocery shopping. Thanks. <laughs> you inspire me because of your resiliency, your authenticity, your vulnerability to share your story and the rawness that you bring to it too. Um, and I think it's important that you know that, that whether you like it or not, <laughs> you are inspiring. And um, it's probably for reasons different than, uh, you know, than, than, than you think of every day, but you are making an impact. Um, and you've impacted many of us. And it's a powerful thing. And I think that the way that you've taken this incredible adversity survived one hour at a time through, you know, till, till, till the, till the days got brighter (laughs) and till, till things got better is truly inspirational. Uh, and I'm going to shamelessly use the word if you're okay with it, because, (laughs) uh, I think that, I think that it's special and I think that it's courageous for you to share your story the way that you do, um, and to make the impact that you're making. So you inspire me, whether uh, that's good or bad. Um, but, thanks. but also just, just really appreciate you, you being here and, and for sharing the story. So thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Awesome. It was fun.